Last time we were together, we noticed that the footsteps of our Lord Jesus Christ led us in the contact, contracting three different miracles that showed Jesus' authority over sickness, over sin, and even over the Sabbath. We find his power, his authority is still over these things today. Today we're going to follow his footsteps up a mountain where our Lord gives his Sermon on the Mount. There he announces to God's people that they're living by different rules completely, principles of kingdom living. You know, in our church, on a regular basis, we have people that have come from different countries. I know that we've got people from Australia, people from Peru and Laos, people from the Philippines and Ireland, Canada, England, Barbados, even people from Kentucky. You know, we've had people from all different places. And if you go to those places, they have different laws and different rules and different customs, different holidays. Well, Jesus is announcing that his followers live under different set of rules, a different set of principles and ways of living we serve a different king as well. Now, this Sermon on the Mount, a lot of times you divide this thing up if you're a smart preacher into like a whole series of messages, but I've never said that I'm a smart preacher. So we're going to do the whole thing in one day, okay? In uh, Luke chapter 6, I'm going to read uh, the whole sermon. It's like 17 to 49, but we're going to read verses 17 to 26. So Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 17. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits and they were healed. And a whole multitude sought to touch him for power went out from him and, and he healed them all. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and they revile you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leave for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Father, as we gather together in this place of worship, as the lady is saying, we know that your presence is in our midst. Because you are lifted up. You are exalted in our praise. And Father, your holy word is open. And we pray that God, your spirit, would speak to the area of our deepest need today. Bring healing. We need it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. The sermon recorded in these verses of Scripture is really a shorter version of 
the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew's account has a little bit more material, but the essential teachings are still here. And the only difference really is that in Matthew it says it was a sermon on a mountainside, whereas Luke said Jesus was on a level place. And some Bible scholars think that it was two different sermons, but if you look at the sequence of events, uh, you can solve that seemingly uh, contradictory thing. Jesus went up to the hills near Capernaum to pray all night before he chose his 12 disciples the next day. And then he went to a level place to talk and to heal diseases. Following that, he went up higher to get away from the crowds and teach his disciples. And the multitudes climbed the mountain and heard his sermon. So I believe that when you hear the Sermon on the Mount, what you're hearing applies to our life today and describes the kind of godly character we should have as believers in this world. Now, what you're going to be hearing is going to be contradictory to anything you hear out in society. Anything that you feel like is going to be contradicted by the words of the Lord Jesus. Kingdom living is seen, first of all, in our reaction to circumstances. Verses 20 to 26. Now, Jesus said in these verses of Scripture, he said several times, blessed are you. Now, when the Jews would hear that word blessed, they would attribute it to God's favor on individuals for living a long life. You're blessed if you live a long life. Or if you have uh, incredible wealth. Or you're blessed with a large, healthy family. Or you're blessed with a full barn and defeated enemies. You know, we might say the same thing. When we get an unexpected check, maybe your insurance money came back. Oh, I've been blessed today. <laughs> maybe... When uh, you get a promotion at work, you say, oh, I've been blessed, or a recognition, or you had a great vacation, you always say, I was blessed. You know when Jesus changes things up, <laughs> he always does, and he was saying happiness has nothing to do with one's external circumstances. As a matter of fact, in verse 20, he says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor. You don't have, Jesus is saying you really don't have to have a lot of money to be happy. But the attitude in America today is the level of your happiness is directly proportional to your net worth. America and the rest of the world says, he who dies with the most toys, you win. <laughs> Guess what? You're still dead. <laughs> Jesus says even a poor person is happy because what does he possess? He doesn't possess anything. He doesn't have any house or land. He doesn't have any money. He doesn't have a, a, a expensive vehicles. He's poor. But you are blessed because you have something far greater than any of that stuff. You have the kingdom of God. You are part of the family of God. And you have the Lord Jesus. And you have eternal life in heaven. You are blessed because the poor didn't have anything to lean on, all they have is Jesus. And that's why he said, blessed are you poor. 
I tell you, they were much better off being poor, following Jesus and having a part in the kingdom of God than being rich and not having a part in the kingdom of God. Others may have the multiple houses, the rich investments, the expensive toys, the exciting trips, but you, God's people, have the kingdom of God. That's why they were blessed. Not in the external circumstances of life, but an inner attitude that Jesus is your Savior and God is your Father. When you're poor, you don't lean on anything else. You have God. My Father is rich in houses and lands. He holds the wealth of the world in his hands of rubies and diamonds, of silver and gold. His coffers are full. He has riches untold. I'm a child of the King, a child of the King. Jesus said, blessed are you poor. And then he says something a, li a little bit uh, harder to swallow. Blessed are you hungry. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. I like what Matthew adds to the words, blessed are you who hunger for righteousness, you will be filled. I think that's the kind of hunger that Jesus was getting to in a spiritual sense. If you are hungry for God, if you're hungry for a righteous life, as the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 63, 1 says, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Oh, do you have a hunger? Do you have a thirst for God and his righteousness, you'll be filled. Jesus said, blessed are you hungry. Blessed are those who weep. Those who weep now, for you shall laugh. What possible blessing could come from mourning and weeping? We like to laugh. We like to have a good time. As a matter of fact, uh, the Bible talks about joy. Jesus was a person of joy. What is mourning? What does this mean when he says, blessed are you that mourn? In other words, there are certain things in life that we need to have the ability to mourn over. And one of those areas that we need to mourn over is sin. We need to be not happy with sin in our life. You know what the world is trying to do? To get you to be content where you are. And even if it's your sinful, twisted behavior, I'm happy the way I am, you know? God is good, I'm good, everybody's good, no one has a right to tell me anything. We need to mourn. We need to be broken over our own personal sin and to be broken of the sin of the world. I don't want you to raise your hand, but if you watched the Grammys <laughs> uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, there was something that I saw just a little, they, there was this singer that got up and, they were, and all of these people in red outfits, red and black outfits were getting up there and the song that was sung actually glorified Satan worship. If that doesn't break your heart, the way our world is going, nothing will. I tell you, we need to mourn over sin. 
And I think this idea of Jesus says, blessed are you who weep or mourn, also has an attitude of seriousness in our life. Now, we need to be joyful. We need to have contentment and and all of that. But there, there needs to be a seriousness in our life. There's a lot of people that are, are not serious at all. They go, life is one party after another, you know. They're, they're thoughtless and they just kind of go and bounce around. The, we need to be serious about things as well. Blessed are those who mourn. And then he says something that is even diffic- more difficult to put into your life. Blessed are those who are hated. We don't want to be hated. We want people to like us, don't we? That's just kind of a natural thing. Blessed are you those who are hated when men hate you and when they exclude you and they revile you and they cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. What is this talking about when Jesus said, blessed are they when they hate you and they cast you out for your name? Now, I don't think that Jesus was referring to their own personal name, like Peter and Andrew and Matthew and all those. I think that he was talking about when they hate you because of my name, because of the name that you have adopted, you are a Christ one. You are a Christian. You are a follower of the Lord. And they hate you because you don't go along with their line of thinking. You follow the words, you follow the the beat of of the, the drum of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're not like the rest of the world and they hate you and they cancel you and they don't want you a part of them because you don't believe like them. Jesus says, blessed are you. You don't want to be a part of that world system anyway. You are part of the kingdom living. Jesus said, blessed are you. Let's move on to the second Kingdom living is seen on our reactions to circumstances, but it also affects our responsibilities to people. Now, we've, we've looked at some hard teaching, but I want you to strap on your seatbelt because Jesus is giving us some very difficult words to follow. First of all, in verse 27, he says this. After these things, he went out and saw... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm in chapter 5. Chapter 7, verse... Chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Told you it was going to be hard. Let's look at the first thing that Jesus said. Love your enemies. You've got to understand, first of all, that this doesn't have to do with emotional feelings. I don't, I don't think that Jesus was saying, oh, you need to be warm and fuzzy about that person that did this to you. It is not referring to the kind of love that has emotions. It's the kind of love that does actions. 
It's action of doing good to your enemies. Who is, who are our enemies? Some of you have personal enemies. You might have a neighbor that you don't like. And maybe they don't like you either. Maybe their little dog came over and did his business in your yard, and he didn't come over and clean it up. Maybe the tree kind of leans over your fence, and it's always falling branches and palm debris and things like that. Maybe you've got a little rivalry going on with a neighbor across the fence. Maybe you've got a relative that is one of those relatives that is kind of not the life of the party, the kind you don't want to invite and you don't want to go over their house. Maybe there's a family feud going on. Anybody like that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> You'll have to be coming in for counseling pretty soon. <laughs> maybe it's a family member that is just really difficult to get along with. Maybe, that's your, maybe, maybe it's politics. Maybe it's someone that's just died in the wool opposite of your own political opinion. Maybe it's a religious enemy. There's enemies of all stripe. You know, in the Bible, the, the Bible teaches, and I think in the book of Deuteronomy, if your enemy's donkey or his ox, he loses it, and you happen to find it, what are you supposed to do? Ha ha, I got his ox, I got his donkey. We're going to have a, a greater possession. No, you take it back. You do good. If your enemy is hungry, you are to feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In other words, we show our love to our enemies by doing good to them. Doing good to them. A Christian man in Africa, a missionary met this, this Christian man who his hands were bandaged recently. And the missionary asked this um, African, what happened to your hands? He said, my neighbor's straw roof was on fire and I helped put it out. Later, he heard the rest of the story. The neighbor hated this Christian man so much that he purposely set the Christian man's roof on fire. And the Christian man, well, his wife and his children were in the house, hoping to do him harm, hoping to hurt him in some way. Well, the man put out his fire in, in his house and everybody was safe. And then a spark from the roof went over to the thatched roof of the neighbor's house and caught his neighbor's house on fire. So what did this Christian man do? Oh, his house is on fire. You know, it's, uh, it serves him right. No. He went over there and he helped his neighbor put out the fire and his hands were bandaged. Doing good to those who hate you. Christ's call is to love your enemies. It's not easy. But when love that surpasses all understanding is shown to those who deserve it least, God does some incredible things. He can work miracles in people's life. Love your enemies even when it's hard. Jesus said that. And then he also said in Luke 6.31, treat others the way you want to be treated. This is what Matthew says, do, a, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. 
You know, when I was in elementary school, I had a ruler that said the golden rule. Remember that? Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. What you would think you would like, do that to them. That's the way Jesus told us to live in our relationships to people. We also should stop criticizing others. In verse 28, bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. That is definitely against the way our own emotions are built. When someone blasts you with their tongue, the temptation is to, 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 to do the same to them. When they only more, you know, uh, because that is our old nature. But Jesus is, just take it and don't, don't give it back to them because you live by different rules. You are children of God and God has called you to talk different than the rest of the world. And also he said, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. In other words, don't just continually be criticizing people and, and for the things that they do. And always, I mean, you can, you can say those things, but Jesus says, stop doing that. Stop judging and criticizing people. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have a a Christian responsibility to help our brother or sister when they're doing something wrong to point those things out or when the world is doing something wrong to use the word of God to say that this is not according to God's word but the idea is that critical judgmental spirit needs to go among God's people. And also, just as it's been difficult, this one is extremely difficult. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Corey Ten Boom was speaking in 1947 in a church in Munich, Germany after World War II. She noticed there was a bald man in a gray overcoat near the back of the basement room where they were getting, where they were gathering. And she'd been speaking on the subject of God's forgiveness, but her heart froze within her when she recognized that man. She could picture him as he, she had seen him so many times before in his blue Nazi uniform with the visored cap, the cruelest of the guards at Ravensbrück camp where Corey had suffered the most horrible indignities and where her own sister had died. Yet there he was at the end of her talk now he was coming up the aisle toward her with his hand thrust out. Thank you for your fine message, he said. How wonderful it is to know that all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Yes, Corey had just said that. She had spoken so easily of God's forgiveness. And here was a man whom she despised and condemned with every fiber of her being. She couldn't take his hand. She couldn't extend forgiveness to this Nazi oppressor. She realized that this man didn't remember her. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands? You mentioned Ravensbrück. The man continued, his hand still extended. I was a guard there. I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's true. But since then, I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. 
It's been hard for me to forgive myself for all the cruel things that I did, but I know that God has forgiven me, and please, if you would, I would like to hear from your lips, too, that God has forgiven me, and Corey recorded her response in her book. I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. I could not it could not have been many seconds that he stood there with his hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I know that I had to do it. I know that. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with coldness, clutching my heart. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Jesus said, forgive them. It is hard. I know some of you have gone through horrible things. God is not asking you to do anything that he didn't do for you. He forgave you. And we as forgiven people, Jesus calls us to forgive, to let it go. And you know what happens? Even when you don't feel like doing it, if you do it anyway, you release it, God floods you with an amazing sense of his peace that will just bathe your heart in his love. You know, Jesus said, forgive them. That was hard. But he also said other things. He said, give to others. You know, the world says accumulate, store up, take, get as much as you can, pile up this world's goods, but Jesus just give. Give is a principle of the kingdom. You know, I'd like to look at our, the kingdom living as it apply, applies to our own self. First of all, Jesus talked a couple parables here. The first one is the blind leading the blind. He spoke a parable to them saying, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? Of course, the blind leaders were the Pharisees that were there. And what he's saying is you need to be able to see clearly with your own relationship to God before you can teach others to follow him. And the idea of the speck in the plank, you get a speck in your eye, it needs to be removed. But you see a speck in someone else's eye, it's good to maybe help them to remove that. But before you are able to get that speck out of their eye, you got to be aware maybe there's a big plank in your own eye. That's a very simple teaching. Take care of your own sinful condition before you can see clearly to remove the specks in other people's eyes. You know, I'd like to close with one other relationship here, and that's our relationship to God. 
verses 46 to 49. In these verses of Scripture, Jesus talks about a man, two men. One builds his house on the sand, and the other builds his house on the rock. What is that talking about? Well, you know the story. There's even a, a, a wise man built his house on the rock. There's a little children's song, and the foolish man uh, built his house on the sand. What is that? It's just building your life on a relationship to your own self, the own accumulating things, and you build on this ground, this land, this sandy soil that has no foundation, and when the storm comes, it all washes it away. But the wise man builds his house on the rock, a solid foundation, which is a relationship to God through Jesus Christ. And when the storm of God's judgment finally comes and it blows upon that house, it will stand firm because it's built on the strong foundation. You and I are facing unending pressure to be squeezed into the politically correct message of the culture. The drums are getting louder. Do you hear? Off in the distance, there's a different drummer. It's Jesus and God's Word calling us to live different, to talk different, to walk different, because we are citizens of His kingdom. Hard to do? Definitely hard. But we are called to be followers of Jesus. Bow your heads with me. Perhaps the Holy Spirit has used his word to convict you of someone that you have not forgiven yet. And you and I have been there where we don't want to let it go. We just want to get even. We want him just to just go away but you still can't have peace. And I, I know that because I've been there. But you can be free from that burden. All you have to do is say, Lord, I, I can't forgive him. I can't forgive her for what they did. But I'm just going to let them go. I'm going to put them into your gracious hands and forgive them because of what you've forgiven me. Maybe there's someone that is called an enemy and you want to get even but you just have to do good to them. May God's Holy Spirit work in our lives today. Father, whatever we need to say, whoever we need to talk to, I pray that your Spirit would give us the courage because we are children of of the King. In Jesus' name, amen.